Welcome to episode 512 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Friday, December 15th. I'm your host, Paul Spore, joined by Eno Saris. Eno, back from the winter meetings. What's up? I don't know. I'm just glad that we're now not just doing relievers. My God. We're finally starting to get some movement elsewhere. A lot of it's been trades. That's what we're going to focus on today. But literally, as we were signing on, we got a big signing. So I'm actually going to, I'm going to bump that to the top. We're going to talk about that first because it is the freshest the freshest uh, move out there. So let's let's go ahead and just dive right in on it and talk about Carlos Santana getting a three-year, $60 million deal. Okay, everything sounds right so far. To Philly. That's where I get hung up on it. I'm a little bit perplexed. I found Santana to be a, a really strong option for somebody that might want Hosmer but not, might not want to overpay. The 3 and 60 is fine by me. If you go look, he's a solid you know, 3-ish win player. You pay 20 mil for that. I, I'm okay with that. But what this does, you know, on the surface, it seems to move Hoskins to the outfield and Altair into a potential platoon with Nick Williams. What did you think about Carlos Santana to the Phillies for 3 and 60? It's a little weird in terms of team structure, in terms of team readiness to compete, I think, from the outside. But I think if you poke it a little bit, it makes more sense. I, You know, I personally thought that the, Pi- the Pirates, the Phillies are closer than maybe some other people think. I agree with that. I This wasn't necessarily the move that I thought, though. I thought maybe a pitcher yeah. in that realm, maybe like yeah. a Lance Lynn for like a 360 or something like that would have stood out to me as, okay, they're going to try to be this year's Brewers, maybe a year ahead of schedule, and then be ready to go in 19, quote unquote, for real. So I'm with you that they're like a solid team. You look up and down the, the roster, you see some quality talent. This fit to me and Justin, our, our producer, we were talking before uh, when we saw it, it, it. That means they believe a lot in Hoskins in the outfield. What do you think about that aspect of it? You know, I mean, I, I think Austin's a first baseman, but or are they flipping the script and Carlos Santana back to catching? No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Third base. Um, you yeah. know, I mean, I, I think he'll, uh, you know, I think Austin's will still place him first and Santana will DH. Um, I think it might be about how old Hoskins is. Well, wait, wait, wait. The DH, I just want to point out, is going to be like, five games right i mean interleague on the road yeah i mean it's a little more than that right i mean there's a lot they, they've mixed the schedule now so that yeah i don't, I don't know it. yeah i mean there's gonna be some you're right you're right but but for the the primary in the outfield i think that um you know some well actually this is interesting because i think zimmerman actually jeff zimmerman revisited the uh, the defensive spectrum. Yo, I got breaking news, but like we really got to finish talking about Santana. But then I got breaking news right after that. Uh-huh. Uh, well, Thurman looked at uh, the uh, defensive spectrum again, and he changed it up again. Um, now it's still a five-run difference uh, between corner outfield and first base. Uh, there's a little bit less of a penalty. Uh, and it's a little bit more squished together for Zimmerman than it is on our website. So maybe basically what they're saying is we don't think there's that much of a difference. And okay. 
Uh, and we think that a young Hoskins, um, while he's young, can, can play the outfield. We don't need them to be first baseman now. He can be a first baseman later. So, And then if you look at their, their outfield, I think they've got a lot of interesting play, parts. But how many of those guys do you sort of just pencil in and say, you know, go get it, right? I mean, what what's your Phillies outfield right now? Well, it's going to be uh, Odubel uh, um, is going to have the spot locked down. That seems right. And then and then Nick Williams, Aaron Altair, and Hoskins. And and then, like, Roman, Roman Quinn is is kind of a, a bench guy. Which I think is, is, how he, is how he profiles. I mean, I, I guess Dylan sure. Cousins gets a little screwed by this. But yeah. maybe they have to trade to get a pitcher. Maybe this is also about um, the fact that maybe it's about getting someone to take their money. Because, you know, ma- general managers do want to spend what's in their budget. And certain teams may have a hard time. I tried to talk to, for example, I tried to talk to the general manager of the Giants, Bobby Evans, about questions a hitter might have of him as a GM. And I, I said, you know, what about the park? I don't want to hit an AT&T park. And he tried to claim that he'd only heard it from one player 10 years ago that went and signed mm-hmm. somewhere else. You got. You can't tell me there's no lefties that that were like, I'm not coming there. Right. And then he also tried to tell me that um, a player's internal um, confidence and like you know willingness think they think they can they think they can all hit there. I don't know. I mean, I, I think if some I was, are realistic and they're like, oh, I can't, I can't hit here. This is terrible. <laughs> They're not usually realistic, actually. I think that part actually resonated with me a little bit. Okay, no, that's fair. All think they're the most amazing. Um, you know, uh, Brandon McCarthy, though, every time I talk to him, like, we'll be talking about, I don't know, anything. And then he'll be like, but Coors, man. <laughs> he's just, like, always totally depressed and frightened about Coors. So I, I doubt that, like, Coors can get a lot of starting pitchers to, to sign up uh, and take their money. Reliever seems like another story, but everyone's overpaying for relievers. So what if the Phillies have a hard time getting a starting pitcher? Like, what if Lance Lynn is like, nah, dude, I don't, I don't really want to pitch there. Um, and, uh, y- you know, the, it's not like the starting pitcher market is robust. So I think maybe they're just like, this is where we can spend. And this is how we can spend. And, uh, you know, you you can actually platoon out there in Williams. And that's, that's what Justin was saying. They they kind of make a perfect like, like like I like Nick Williams and I like Aaron Altair, but I don't think either of them are so established that you'd be like we we have to have a starting spot for them or we've messed up. I I think we got to be realistic about where they're at and putting them in in basically a, a straight up platoon and then mixing in Altair here and there. Um, I think is the way to go. Or it's a prelude to a trade. You know, maybe this is stacking up the offense so that they can actually trade some offense for pitching. And then all of a sudden, there's a, Dylan, there's a Dylan Cousins, Tommy Joseph for, you know, Chris Archer, you know. Or what about Altair himself as a big piece in a trade? Or yeah. Nick Williams, a little bit of a younger guy. I mean, they have like, so much now that they could offer a major league outfielder, uh, a minor league outfielder. And a pitching prospect, uh, which is a, I think a lot of times it's a is a 
a, a deal that someone might take for their under control outfield, uh, their under controlled arm, because they're everyone's trying to do the Cubs and Astros now, and everybody wants to have a, a position player uh, core. Well, so being you, able to offer some young under team control uh, position players might actually get you the arm that you need. And I think once you have, I think Nola is ace like ace light. I don't know something like that. If you actually paired Nola. an archer with him. I think that you would have a really, you know, a really fine front two, and I'm not sure that they've developed that depth yet. But I, I like Nick Pavetta a little bit more than some, and I like Jared, Gerard Eikhoff a little bit more than some. And if Vince Velasquez is ever healthy, then you could actually have a good starting rotation. So I love Velasquez, and I, and I would love to see him stay healthy. But I really think that, that in this era of, of out of here, well, no, just um literally put him in the two, three inning role. Like Uh don't even try it with the starter, but don't, don't also put him down as a one inning guy. I think that's an underuse under utilization of him. Get him in a 90 to 110 inning role. I think that would be all he gives you anyway. Exactly. If you're only going to get that as a starter and it's only going to last for four months of the season, why not try to curate it better and Mm -hmm. and make him more of a, somebody you can use all year in that. Like we're moving toward those roles anyway. Like let's, he's a perfect fit for it in my opinion, but I I totally agree with uh, your entire assessment here on the Phillies. The crazy thing, this is crazy. I don't think this would really happen, but just to throw it out there, like what if Hoskins is the one that might get dealt just because of what he could possibly bring back? Oh man. I mean, it'd be a mutiny in in Philly. I understand. Well, you can get anything really. But what? I mean, it feels like you could get anything for him. I mean, he could centerpiece an Archer deal, couldn't he? I think I think the some of the other names are probably centerpiecing more of a uh, an Odorizzi deal or something like that. But Tampa Bay does seem like a fit yeah. to get a pitcher uh, for Philly. So I like that. Uh, I tried to you- chat people up. Jason Collette showed up at the winter meetings. Oh, he did. Yeah, because he's everywhere. He yeah, he is literally everywhere. I think there's more <laughs> than one of him. It's impossible for him to possibly be everywhere that he that he's at. So yeah, there has to be more than than one Jason. Should, what's he? What's he think? Should about also camping? ask him about he had, he had a good travel story, but you can probably save that for a podcast. I'll get it for the podcast. But, yeah, this week. Let him tell it. Okay. But anyway, uh, I was trying to get we we he ended, of course I ended up with him and like two or three raised people and writers and stuff. So I was trying to figure out. You know, what are they going to sell? What did he think? I I think not. But what did he think? I mean, I don't think so either. I was like, the the all this young pitching is about to, you know, hit the rotation. But I guess they he they said seem prime late in the season. He said they had a real hard time scoring runs. They and, did. Well, it's a boom bust offense. They're either uh, giving up double, you know, the op- opposing pitchers either getting double digit strikeouts or giving up five homers. There was nothing in between. Well, anyway, um, I, that's all speculation. It's hard to do that kind of speculation and be and provide value because we always tell everybody don't make a move, don't sell a guy or buy a guy based on a trade that has to happen. Exactly. I completely agree with that. Um, almost never turns out the way you think and i think the best way to illustrate is that is we just had a whole winter meetings where we talked about a million trades and one happened well and the one that we talked about so much 
the team that Stanton went to was not one of the. Uh, I didn't. I, I think I flat out said that he wasn't going to go to New York. Yeah, I, I on that. We said they already had Aaron Judge. <laughs> yeah. What do they need Aaron Judge Senior for? Well, to be better, I guess. So yeah. I'm an idiot. <laughs> I mean, uh, if you're, not, you're going to give up what they gave up to get him, and you're going to get well, money yeah, off the deal. Yes. If you have a double agent in in another organization like Derek Jeter and he's willing to give you a cake deal, I guess you take a cake deal. I was assuming they would actually have to give up valid resources to get the NL MVP, but uh, stupid me. My my bad on that one. So, um, well, well, check this out. This is kind of funny about uh, Carlos Santana. Switch hitters always tell me that uh, they are different from each side. They have to kind of learn. Uh, they have to learn themselves differently from each side. Yeah, two different players. Yeah, so if you look at uh, Santana versus righties as a lefty, he hits more fly balls, and uh, it's a, it's like 0.9 ground balls for fly balls versus 1.5 from the other side. That's a fairly big difference. And uh, that's something that, like Pablo Sandoval, other people have told me. So... Um, then you, you look at his line, he's got a 213 ISO versus righties and he's on a 160 ISO versus lefties. So he's, but he has a 270 average against lefties and a 240 average against righties. So he's a little bit more of a swing and miss slugger against lefties. And he's a little bit more, he also, he makes, he walks more than he strikes out against lefties. So yeah, he's definitely like a swing and miss slugger from the right and, uh, from the, uh, from the left and from the right, he's more of uh, uh, make contact, good patience, above average power guy. Uh, it's what's funny is it adds up to about the same WRC plus. So he's he's just as valuable from either side for his career, but he's like a totally different hitter from each side. And somehow I think that'll be interesting to see as he comes to this new park. You you might think in your head that uh, Philly's park plays way better than than Indians park, but if we're just talking about homers. It's actually the, plays the same for lefties. That's really interesting. I, you're right. I would have said yeah. that that's uh, false. I would have I would have given uh, Philly a major edge. So Cleveland propels lefty homers. Yeah, yeah. They're both at a 106, 107. But okay. he could still see a big step forward because, um, uh, oh, it pro- let's see. Cleveland propels lefty homers. Let me get that right. Oh, okay. So you may see a smaller leap forward than we think because he's a more of a power hitter from the left side and Cleveland already gave him uh, the same sort of boost. But so, will he get the gains as a righty with well, Philly being better? Some gains from the right. Maybe some of that suppression of his power as a righty uh, was part of was Cleveland. But yeah. Um, yeah. So that that's interesting. Uh if he does, but then you're talking about the smaller side, because uh, you, as a righty, you're facing lefties, so that happens about one third of the time, or whatever. So good point, good point. Um, so I still think there could be maybe less of a boost for Carlos Santana in the move. And I actually sometimes I think this generally is that we we like we're like oh this dude like Ian Desmond is he's going to Colorado he's going to have like a 400 BABIP and yeah 330 batting average. He's still going to. That's still going to happen. It's happening this year. It was delayed one year. Relax, okay? Well, I, I, would, I wouldn't necessarily put Carl Santana in 40 homer pants, but uh, could he equal his career high from 2016 at 34? 
Um, yeah, that seems plausible. I mean, you know, may, the the pitchers may not have a bunch of uh, have a book on him uh, as much. So, um, I think this is a net positive move for Carlos Santana. I'm not going to. I agree. Make him a 40 homer hitter, but push his his projections a little bit to like 270 with you know 32, 34 homers. Okay. Uh, so the over on his projections, but not by a ton. So Carlos Santana to Philly. The breaking news, which tells you kind of the status of this player, because if it were J.D. Martinez or Eric Hosmer or you Darvish Bro, or Jake Arrieta, I, I would have interrupted you and said we got to talk about that first. But it was Zach Cozart. No offense, Zach Cozart, but Carlos Santana still reigns above you right now. But Zach Cozart to the Angels on a uh, three-year, $38 million deal. The Angels oh pushing their God. chips all in. And frankly, I love it. I think that it's exactly what they have to do. Um, we're going to speculate that this is going to be to play third. It's obviously not going to be to play short. And they just traded for Ian Kinsler. Let's actually talk about these in concert then. They also traded for Ian Kinsler uh, with the Tigers. They gave a, a couple of prospects. I put that in quotes because they don't really have good prospects outside of Kevin Maiton, and he was not one of them. So they gave a couple pieces to the Tigers to take on Ian Kinsler's contract. So they get Cozart and Kinsler to go with um, – CJ Crone at, at, at first base and pool holes, and then also uh, Angelton Simmons at short. So now they got their their infield set. The Angels are ready to go. Like I said, they are pushing the chips in. I'm not even sure that this is it. They still might go get a pitcher or two, perhaps, um, maybe not reliever. They kind of built that relief, uh, that rotation on the on the fly there and they do still have Otani and all the guys we talked about with their situation on starting pitchers so maybe this is it outside of a, a mediocre medium move but what do you think about Zach Cozart to the Angels this team I think is about ready to pull even with the Red Sox uh, in terms of team projections okay makes them uh, I think you know Otani's not in our system yet yeah and yesterday the Angels were at well, I, actually, because we probably don't have Cozart in yet, we can do yesterday right now. Uh, the projected standings right now have the Angels winning 86 games and being five games back of the Red Sox. However, that doesn't have Otani and it doesn't have Cozart. So Cozart might make them a 788 win team that pulls them even with the Cardinals. And Otani puts them ahead of the Nationals at about 91 wins. So we're now talking about a top five, six team in, in the big leagues right now. And, and, you know, I was saying something like, you know, I'm surprised the number hasn't gotten higher, but we don't have Otani in there. Um, and they weren't the best team to begin with. But I think uh, of the off seasons, like, is there anyone who had a better off season? No chance. There's no chance that the, what they're doing and like, don't sleep on the Maiton move too, because we're talking about all the stuff they're doing to push the chips in this year. And then they go out and, and actually do boost their their system, which is a very weak system. But they they go get their frontliner for their system with Maiton, who's five years old, and they can still groom him. Uh, you know, sneak tip Martin Maldonado winning the Gold Glove behind the dish. You got a really solid catcher there. If, you know, he's not there for his bat, but they have bat. Uh, they have hitters all around the rest of the lineup. I mean, I failed to mention Justin Upton, the re-signing there, because he could have opted out. So that's that's a plus. They're going to have a full year of Justin Upton. I mean, this team, there's, you know, they where are they weak? Yeah, there's not really a hole, because they even have quality backups when you talk about Valbuena. Yes. Uh, 
you know, Otani pushing uh, Crone and, and Pujols into less playing time, which is good. Uh, Caleb Coward's a solid defensive replacement. And if his back comes along at all, uh, he can yeah. bounce around the infield for them, too. Fourth outfielder, you know, maybe, but who cares, really? You know, they've been a healthy, fairly healthy group there. Um, and that's something you could figure out in season if you needed it. Right now they got Eric Young, Shane they Robinson. Could have, they could have a pop-up prospect. One of their best prospects that they've held on to is Jemai Jones. Yeah. And he's an outfielder. So if he if he really takes a step forward and then someone gets hurt, you know, maybe we see Jones out there. Um, the only thing I would say as a like a team building exercise and it may actually be a good thing but in general i would say that they have a very high variance pitching staff i mean there's in one world next year skaggs get hurts richards finally goes down for that that tommy john haney has a problem coming back shoemaker you know uh, there's a lot of different things that could happen to him uh, jc ramirez doesn't find it nick tropiano isn't quite healthy coming back and you have like zero pitchers <laughs> tani's elbow goes um you know in the in the bullpen pedrosian's been very hurt very often blake parker regresses you know back to what he used to be um you know Jim middleton Johnson walks the world walks the world and then you have like this team that's pretty good but has like not a staff you know? <laughs> but yeah, yeah we throw some cold water on the angels fans here just letting them know that Nothing's guaranteed, but as it stands right now, I think they made a lot of solid moves. I like what they're doing. Uh, Richard's, Richard's Otani is a one-two that I like. I've always liked Haney better than most, so uh, Haney. And then you got Skaggs Shoemaker as the back end of your rotation. That's exciting to me. And I didn't love him, but don't sleep on Bridwell. He did some solid things, and and if he's a solid I'm, six, I'm gonna sleep on him. I'm I'm gonna poop. I'm gonna poo-poo him. Okay, I, I, listen, I'm fine with it, but we're talking about like a six seven guy at this point. If right. you're if you're relying on him to be your four, I get it. Uh, you know, you can you can hate on him all, all you want, but the I fact think Ramirez is, Ramirez might might be a really great hundred inning guy. Um, he, they've struggled to find it because his command isn't good. Uh, find a role for him because he, he wasn't that great in the bullpen or as a starting pitcher, but. Dude throws 98 and started throwing a slider like 45% of the time last year. So and a nasty slider, too. I was, was going to bring that up. Yeah. Slider's better than his high-velocity fastball. And then I I have always been a Tropiano guy. Um, I think that he has the collection of pitches that he needs. Um, I agree with you on the staff. I and mean, we talked about it when we talked about Otani. Uh, they're, they're, they're tailor-made to have Otani because they really should do a six-man. Uh, and they have some some backups it, 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 if they have to fill in spots there because they do have a lot of health risks. But this team set up. Let's talk about Cozart and Kinsler projection wise. Cozart coming off of his best season ever. Kinsler actually coming off they're of his gonna, worst season ever. And they're also going to take some hits. I think. Uh, I saw some analysis from Derek Cardia, which was really interesting, which was that the deep outfield wall in Comerica actually ups some uh, hit rates for some it's like an, doubles. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting idea. I mean, one thing that I would say with that analysis is it does so at the cost of homers. So Correct. Uh, you could leave Comerica and hit some over the wall that you didn't hit before, and you'd have some benefit there. So, uh, And I think that could uh, that could have something to do with Kinsler. I mean, he's he, he was a 30-30 guy in Texas. Um, not saying he's going to be again. I'm just saying you know, well, uh, if he got any boost. But I don't think he'll get much of a boost and runs an RBI apparently take a big step back in, in Anaheim Stadium. So, 
but getting a better lineup, right, than the than the Tigers lineup. Lineup looks pretty good right now, and he scored 90 runs in in Detroit in a bad lineup. So with a 313 OBP, yeah, and he had a 244 BABIP. It, you guys know that I'm not one that just looks at BABIP and says that's that's the reason for for success or failure. But when you have a 244 against a, a 286 career and 323 and 314 the last two years for Kinsler. You got to feel pretty comfortable that that's going to come up. Nothing in his batted ball skills jumped out as uh, remarkably different. He did have a few more pop-ups, but he yeah, actually he hit the ball. The well, problem. the hard contact rate, I, I won't say too much about. It was up three ticks, but we have the whole thing with Comerica maybe being a little hot last year. Oh, you so, know what's interesting is um, on the pop-up thing, he he it did it does look bad if you look at through certain lens, but – he has had this problem basically for his career. He's just basically a slightly above average pop-up guy. Oh, yeah, yes. Actually, last year was his best year, so it was actually not too surprising that it regressed back to where his career norms are for— uh, Yeah, 2016 was his best year. So, yeah, there was a little bit of wiggle wobble. But if you want to say that's a big deal, then you have to say, well, why has he had decent babips the rest of his career when he's always had a bit of a pop-up problem? So Bingo. So I'm going to boost the average to at least 270, and I think even that's conservative. 268 last two years, take maybe a little bit from the park, but uh, give him— Give him a, a jump back for his BABIP coming back up. I think Kinsler's going to be a solid buy low because he's going to be 36 coming off the bad year. I think he's going to be kind of forgotten. Second base has gotten a little bit uh, more plentiful, so I think people are going to be looking elsewhere. I could see myself getting Kinsler uh, on the cheap as long as, as, long as something doesn't go crazy. Yeah, exactly. And dope. you talked about how he used to be 30-30. Obviously, we're not going to be projecting him to get 30 stolen bases again, but he hit 28 homers in 16 and 22 last year in 139 games. If yeah. he plays a buck 50, he can hit 25, and then you're a few wind gusts, as Ron Chandler would say, from popping like 30. So I don't even rule out another 30 homer season, even though the last one he had was 2011. Bottom line, I think Kinsler's a solid 270-2010 that you're not going to have to pay a lot for and some upside built into that projection. This is the worst place Kozar could have gone, though. I was going to say, what about Kozar? So let me set it up real quick. 297, 385, 548 last year. All three, undoubtedly, unquestionably, his best ever by leaps and bounds. 12% walk rate, way up, um, nearly double what he'd done before, double his career rate, 15% strikeout rate. He's always been a good contact guy in the 14 to 16% the strikeout rate, 24 homers, uh, and that was in 122 games. Now, he did start to show some power in 2016, but it was an injury-shortened season, and we'd never really seen it from Kozart, so I think he was kind of dismissed. That power boost was a little bit dismissed. Uh, same thing in 15. He played even fewer games, had a little bit of a power boost, but again, it was like, man, Zach Kozart, whatever. Age 31 breakout. Uh, I'm skeptical, and I think I think the market was skeptical too. That's why he got 12 mil per year. What about Cozart in LA? How do how do you like him? You know, there's a there's a couple pieces to the break. I mean, one of the was a, a way better plate discipline. Um, walked, you know, twice his at his at twice his career level, and did so based on, you know, swing metrics that uh, that looked very different. He all of a sudden swung like Joe, Joey Votto at 40% instead of at 48% like he had before. Chase. 
Yeah, and he and he stopped chasing. He he credited an adjustment where he kind of holds the bat on his shoulder longer or instead of doing something else. So there is an adjustment piece, there is a, a swing metric piece that backs up that. And so you could say, you know, maybe he's got some of this power from his plate discipline because you can get power from your plate discipline. But in some ways he over he overreached his regular uh, his own launch angles and exit velocities. His expected slugging from Perpetua's X X stats is 470. Uh, and though 470 would be a good outcome for him too, um, that's not 548. So um, you could you could say that. 470 is bigger than the 428 slugging that he's projected into for Zach Cozart. And so you could say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to project him to retain some of that swing change, those adjustments that he's made at the plate discipline. And so therefore retain more of the power than his projections say he's going to do. I'm going to take the over basically because he did a deserve a 470 slugging last year. And that's pretty good. Um, But you know, that still only pushes him to kind of like a 260-20 homer hitter, uh, maybe 22 homers. You can play him at shortstop while he's playing at third in real life. I just, I see it as pretty blah. I think that the upside there, like talking about a 260-24 home run hitter at shortstop, that's pretty blah. And the downside is that he takes really poorly to Angel Stadium um, and, you know, Jeff Zimmerman has a piece about just this kind of plate discipline change and how much of it holds. And Kozar didn't make the threshold uh, to hold more of it. So Zimmerman basically thinks he's going to regress in terms of plate discipline. So if he regresses in terms of plate discipline, regresses hard in terms of power, and he hits 250 with 16 or 17 homers in Angel Stadium at the bottom of the lineup as a shortstop, that's just it's the the floor is pretty low, the ceiling's pretty low. You know, I, I, I don't see a you, lot you of reasons to run and go get him. You don't love it. Yeah, I, I don't think. Here's the, the beauty. Um, coming off that big season, it's not going to cost much to reinvest. If you really want to reinvest in Ian Kinsler, no one's no one's charging you freight you on Cozart. that. Cozart. Or Cozart. Car, Cozart. Yeah, yeah. It, it will probably, we'll probably do look at that about. and say, that was lucky. So there might be a chance to. But then you have to also think about injury. I mean, 122 last year, 121, 53 before, hasn't ever done 160. So maybe third is easier. I've looked at research that says that people go to the DL just as often and stay just as long between third and short. So And going to be a year older, too. So uh, I'm not. It's going to be 33. 33 or 32? Well, he's 30. Yeah, he's 32. His age 32 season. Um, so, yeah, Zach Cozart. But, again, gives – for the Angels, it's it's one of those that's like a better baseball move than it is a, a fantasy move because it gives them a nice, solid guy that they can put in there. Um, and I think it's really good. Yeah, like uh, a, you want league average rather than you know Escobar and starting Luis Valbena. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, wow. So I did the depth chart updates, and then Jeff just went and did, redid all of them. Okay, cool. He did. Cool. <laughs> guess I just want to touch it because <laughs> that's that's annoying. Um, <laughs> let's talk about the Marcelo Zuna trade. That's probably the uh, the the biggest move since we last talked. Um, big deal between Marcelo Zuna going from Miami to St. Louis and then Sandy Alcantara 
Magnus Sierra and, and a couple other smaller prospects going from St. Louis to Miami. Fantasy-wise, Ozuna and um, Alcantara are really the moves, but Ozuna obviously way above all of it. So let's talk about Marcelo Ozuna as a St. Louis Cardinal. What do you think? Our handedness things say that uh, he didn't benefit too much. Uh, the Marlins were the third hardest place for a right-hander to hit a home run, and the Cardinals were fifth. So uh, I don't know that he'll get a huge boost from the park change. He no, does hit yeah, pretty neutral. His power can play anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it did. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Was, it, Marlins it Park is the definition of it anywhere. <laughs> and... um. Yeah, it's very tough on on right-handed power, and and it didn't really bother, uh, it didn't really bother Ozuna, and I don't think St. Louis is necessarily going to bother him. One thing I do like, obviously, there was concern that um, that you know with with Stanton not you know, being gone, of course, if if Ozuna had to still be there, what's going to happen to his runs and RBIs? Well, now moving to a St. Louis team that should be pretty solid. I, I think that I think that uh, his runs and RBIs should be pretty solid again in in uh, St. Louis. What do you think about that for Ozuna? Uh, yeah, I think that he's in terms of teams around him. The uh, the, the is an upgrade with with Stanton gone. Um, I, I think there's a, a little bit of upside uh, to Ozuna left still. I don't. I think that his peak season. He's 27. That could have been his peak season easily at 37 homers and 300 batting average. But what's interesting to me is that in 2016, Ozuna hit more fly balls than he did in 2017. So there's still and he hit more ground balls than most sluggers. So to me, there's still like an inkling of like one last thing that could he could unlock where he has 2016's fly ball rate, but 2017's play discipline. Perpetual yeah. wrote him up, suggesting uh, did a deep dive, suggesting similar that hey, there could even be more here. Yeah, and uh, you know, I don't know. If, I think what would happen is that more would look the same somehow. Like there'd be regression uh, in terms of just regressing back to a little bit back to his like career norms. However, there could be like a little bit of a skill unlock there where he hits more fly balls and kind of pushes it back to where he was. So. Uh, he's projected into 290 and 29 homers, and I like that. But I could definitely see I would like I take the over on 29 homers. Actually, I think I would too with with Marcelo Zuna in St. Louis. I think it's going to be a nice move for him. Obviously, when they brought him into the fold, uh, that meant that they had a little bit of an overcrowding in terms of startable outfielders, and that was quickly remedied by trading Stephen Piscotty. They moved him from St. Louis out to Oakland. In, in a smaller deal. Now, this is a, both a baseball move and a personal move. This allows Piscotty to go back out, uh, back out home in California and help be closer to his mother, who is uh, was diagnosed with ALS last year. And obviously, that was something very difficult for Piscotty and his family to to you know learn and, and and deal with. And I think it's a contributing factor to the fact that he had a tough year. Also had two two injury stints, so it was kind of a lost 2017 for Piscotty. Obviously, we've touted him on this show regularly and um i refuse to give up because i do think that with health he's still going to be a solid uh, hitter for sure what do you think about piscotti in oakland yeah i tried to you know i've been talking to him since he went to stanford 
And, you know, I've talked to him in the past about the Stanford swing, which is a contact heavy opposite field ground ball type college swing that the Stanford coaches, I don't know if they still do, but they used to espouse that. Keith Law thought it was a reason to denigrate any um, Stanford prospect coming up mm-hmm. because they would they would have to kind of find their way out of that swing uh, in order to make it to the big leagues. And, uh, you know, Piscotti at the time was telling me that if you can hit, they don't make you hit that way. And uh, then he went out and, you know, slammed like six homers in that next batting practice session after we talked. So, um, you know, I, I think that, uh, I think he has power. He did make a swing adjustment, uh, where he adjusts a little bit what he does with his elbow and what he, and the way he angles his ball at contact, his body at contact. And I went and looked and his 2017 angle of body and, and swing looks more like his 2015 than it does his 2013. And that's important because Piscotti has had some up and down power in the minor leagues. And what I'm saying is, I think mechanically, he's about the same as he was when he had power. And I think it was that other thing. It's the bingo is maybe the the, the problems in his family. I mean, your mother being diagnosed with ALS is, is a big deal. Uh, but also, um, the injuries were fairly big deal. A forearm strain. Uh, he was hit three times in one game. Uh, and then and then had a forearm strain and it was hit in the head. I think he was hit in the head three times one game and had a forearm strain. That was like a within three days of each other. Then uh, he had a hamstring strain that actually cost him like three weeks. Wasn't he so, demoted too? Uh, yeah, and he was demoted. So uh, and he had the the thing going on. And if you actually oh hit in the elbow twice and then hit in the head uh, are uh, the inestimable inestimable inest that's a real hard word. I don't uh, know Justin what Mason. Is. I don't even know what word you're trying to say. <laughs> Do not estimate Justin Mason. He is inestimable. Um, <laughs> don't underestimate him. Is that what you're trying to say? It's a word, isn't it? Inestimable. Inest. Inest. Well, Moving listen, on. I'm not going to find it right now. Uh, <laughs> Justin Mason's great, and he tells us he was hit twice in the elbow and once in the head. <laughs> Any case. Uh, uh, Piscotti had a bad year, and if you actually take his exit velocities and launch angles, and you and you you paint on those events, uh, you can see what happened. You know what I mean? Like the exit velocity, forearm strain, zoop goes down to the ground. You know, launch angles, uh, hamstring strain, zoop goes down in the ground. He started the season at the same launch angles and exit velocity that he had in 2015 and 2016. So. I believe in the power. I think he can hit 20 to 25 homers, even in in Oakland. And I know that they bought him to be a right-hander. And so there is some risk that he becomes a a platooner. But I think that they kind of wanted a right-hand starter uh, because they were in on Ozuna and some other guys. And uh, I don't think that against righties, you know, you're going to start Dustin Fowler on purpose in a corner outfield if Boo Powell. Boo Powell's a lefty who's going to play in center. Um, so I, I think there's, I think this guy is going to play most of the time. I think so too. And uh, I think the, the bottom line here that we're looking at is the, 
the narratives that that you would fit to his season are legitimate, right? Like sometimes yeah. you you try to create a narrative and you're like, nah, that doesn't really hold up. Everything that you kind of create for Piscotty's season to kind of explain what happened uh, is there. Now that doesn't mean it automatically turns around in 18, but I I do think that it is going to turn around. And I'll I take think the, the market, yeah. I think the market has has allowed you to get a discount on. Oh, I don't think I there's think a lot of hype be there. Pretty low, yeah. Yeah. Even in redrafts and in AL only, but I think he can hit. Uh, I'll take the over on 250 with 16 homers. I think. Me too. Uh, maybe the under. Uh, it's funny. He's projected for six stolen bases with with all the injuries. I might take the under on that. But I, you know, six stolen bases isn't really moving the needle. So, you know, 260, 18, 20 homers. Uh, it sounds a little bit like a an ale only type cat with all the power you have today, but yeah. Or your fifth outfielder in a, in a mix. Like you're not center piecing him by any stretch. AL only is definitely going to be where Piscotty's value is best. Undoubtedly. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I got to loop back to the Marcelo Zuna trade real quick. I didn't say anything about Sandy Alcantara, uh, hard thrower. We saw him in the Arizona fall league. Doesn't always know where it's going, but can, can throw triple digits. A lot of people screaming relief. What do, you, do you have any thoughts on Sandy Alcantara as far as uh, him with Miami? He did get a brief brief look in the majors this year, and uh, I think he'll start the season in the minors, but but what do you think about Sandy Alcantara? Now, one thing that you have to remember when you're looking at his strikeout rates is that his brief major league look was in a tiny sample and also out of relief. So uh, when he was starting, he didn't have great strikeout rates, and it has to do with his command and the secondaries. Um, so that's why I think part of why people are, are having to put him in relief. I, my only story is that I swim moved right past him to, uh, get to Tuki Toussaint at the, all- at the Arizona <laughs> Fall League All-Star Not game. Not trying to talk so. to you, nerd. Get out of my way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I well, think he actually gave me a little bit of a look, but I, you know, Hey, I want, I want Tuki. I want some spin rate action. Yeah. We want Tuki. He's got the secondary stuff to actually start. I'm just not sure that it's there. Uh, for Alcantara, he can pop triple digits. I think that, you know, when you're, he's going to be going into his age 22 season, right? So there's a lot of potential growth still, but I do think it's going to meander toward a relief role. But it could, it could be a high end relief role. I, I do think that because if, if you, they commit, if Miami says, okay, we're going bullpen here, then you focus on sharpening the command on that fastball and then just developing one secondary. And then he can become a nice late inning guy. But I think it's a few years from that. They're going to let him continue to start. He skipped AAA when he made his his MLB debut. I think he'll go to AAA, maybe spend half the year there at least, and then see what's what, uh, maybe come up for a little bit in the, in the majors. Not really a fantasy-relevant uh, player, even in NL only right now. Not for me. I think it's Dynasty League only for Sandy Alcantara. What do you think on that? Yeah. And honestly, I think he could be overrated by Velocity. Um, I don't tend to gravitate towards these, you know, has big fastball, has big straight fastball Mm -hmm. and nothing else, guys. It doesn't, um, especially his prospects, it doesn't, you know, maybe he's won the Casio later. Sure. But I don't really want to buy into all the other one, the Casios. (laughs) <laughs> no, 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 I think that's I think that's completely fair. I'd so. like to have Juan Nicasio now. I don't want to have. I didn't. I didn't really want. To, I didn't have a lot of fun owning him before. The iterations um, to get where we are. Which, by the way, we are going to talk about him in a moment. He he signed somewhere. Let's just also dump some more on Derek Jeter and the and the Miami Marlins. Why why not? Uh, in for a penny, in for a pound. I thought this was a terrible return for Marcelo Zuna. 
Uh, you get one pitching prospect when you really need to build another prospect, uh, another uh, position player core. And then the position player you get back is like what a outfield as fuck. Four man's in there in Ciarte if he if he turns out to his best. Like, you yeah, know, exactly. just I don't know, doesn't really have like patience, doesn't really have a great contact rate, has not shown any power. They didn't even play him in center, but you know, he's probably a center fielder. But like, you know, you know, a center fielder with no power and isn't even going to give he's you that got speed. Yeah, he's got speed, but well, it's totally the thing Magnus, like Sierra. a non-sabermetric front office might overvalue. I mean, speed is the worst tool to to pay for. Because it usually, I mean, the the aging curve for it is straight down. That doesn't mean every guy loses it, but for for the general curve. You just start losing speed the second you get into the majors. So, yeah, I just I, I'm good. Justin Mason talking about how he smashed all over Jeter, and I know Jeter doesn't do everything. Like he's he's not the dictator in Miami, but he's the <laughs> face of it, so he gets to have the heat. Okay, he got all the praise for stuff when he wasn't doing all of it in New York. He's gonna get all the heat when it's going awry in Miami. I don't care. Um, he says he went from the worst farm system in baseball. To the 25th by trading three studs. By trading <laughs> D. Gordon, Stanton. And there was mitigating Marcelo. circumstances for D. Gordon and Stanton because by projections or by some math, you could say they're underwater and so they're trying to get their money out. But Marcelo Zuna's two-year contract, really good young player, uh, showing power in the worst ballpark, should have been worth one prospect where people say, oh, like, well done, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, Derek Jeter's garbage. He's <laughs> he's the GM equivalent of his defense. So uh, no range, as, as Justin would say. Let's move on. Uh, there's another Philly move. I guess I should have included that with, with the Santana thing. It's a small move. They they traded Freddie Galvis, um, and so it's more it, of a San Diego move. They I think it's this is actually more interesting. There's often times where this is more, where things are more interesting in what's left behind than what's going forward. Like I think that Freddie Galvis can continue to be borderline usable, deep league shortstop type guy. Okay. Um, you know, I think the depth charts right now are, have not maybe totally, that's my fault. Hey, we're looking at my fault right now. That's great. Jeff updated it. Don't worry. I mean, well, it does, he's putting he's putting Galvis into 325 plate appearances. No, 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 no. It it that move happened today. It won't update till overnight. I oh, I see. Okay, right? I think yeah. they they update every overnight. That's why if you have them done by like 1 a.m. or 2 a.m. Central, uh, I think it'll catch the update. But yeah, we won't see the, the anyway. fruits of Jeff's labor until tomorrow on the 250. 10 to 12 homers, 10 to 12 stolen bases, really not going to play in most of your slots unless you're in a deeper league. He should get all the playing time he wants. I mean, I don't think that – I don't think the Padres are going to – people have been saying that Fernando Tatis Jr. is maybe going to see the big leagues this year. But I think if he does, it's a cup of coffee in September. I doubt that they're going to really want to goose his – um, even with Eric Hosmer in the fold, I doubt that they want to goose uh, Fernando Tatis's uh, control time. Yeah, and, f- and from what he's 19 uh, with 14 games at Double A, I, I don't, I don't think take so, most Tim. of the year to come yeah. up. And, uh, there's no need to rush him. There's it, absolutely no need. There's a chance that the Padres overpaid for one year of Freddie Galvis because 
some people think that this 20-year-on-year-old Eniel De Los Santos that's going over to Philly uh, is, like, Did actually you? sort of polished. Okay. Like, um, uh, he uh, he has good command of his of his uh, 94 to 98 mile per hour heater. Yeah, down in the zone, and then has two secondaries that flash that, that flash up average or above average. In any case, that might be you know that might be interesting to them uh, as their sixth seventh pitcher. But I think the most interesting thing about this is neither of those things. Those things are all sort of deep league. Things have to work out for them to be any more interesting. But the fact that Galvis is gone leaves uh, no doubt that J.P. Crawford is the shortstop. It's time. It's time now. And it also doesn't give the Phillies a real backup plan for Michael Franco at third. So Carlos you, Santana. If you, oh, I, I'm, just God, I I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I really know. I. If you believe in Michael Franco a little bit like I do, that that um, you know a little bit of uh, a little bit of You're talking maybe generally, some... right? You're not talking directly to me, like if I do, because you know full well that I'm obsessed with him too, right? Like you're, you're saying, if people generally believe in him, I still believe in two eighty and thirty out of him, and uh, and it wouldn't even take that much of an adjustment. So, uh, you know, maybe Carlos Santana is what he needs in terms of. Um, you know, a, a, a statesman, you know, uh, an help statesman to be like, you know, hey, you can do better than this because I think you can. So anyway, uh, Crawford is there, and this is this is the the infield of the of the future. I mean, this is in some ways this is this is the Phillies team that we wanted to see. So, um, you know, I'm I am going to take the over on Crawford's projections because. I think right now the translations for power between the minor leagues and the major leagues are broken a little bit. Okay. You don't want to change your major league equivalencies, the MLEs. You don't want to change your major league equivalencies based on one year. And we're only in year three of the new ball. So how many of these guys have fundamentally changed on their projections, their, their relationship between minor league ISOs and major league ones? And we've seen other people mash. Uh, we've seen other people with sort of iffy power in the minor leagues come up and do better than we thought power-wise. Um, Piscotti even is an example of this. So I think uh, he can have a league average ISO, and I think he's going to have a 340 OBP. And so my line for Crawford next year, my sort of back of the envelope projected number for him is like 260, 340, 400 you know, 420. And if he can do that, he can go 15-15. Looks a lot like Freddie Galvez. However, really nice. However, he's 22. So you're talking about that being the first season of growth. And he's exactly. And seasons beyond that. The OBP is much better. That's one thing Galvez doesn't have. So Crawford, it is his time. That's the big part of this deal. Uh, It opens the door for him. Plus defender for me. So very interesting player because he may strike out too much to have a really great batting average, but he's going to have a lot of walks. And if the power continues to grow, I mean, there's a chance to have a sort of Rollins-esque guy here. I think that there's 
the, the prospect hype has died a little bit on on Crawford, and that makes for a nice potential buying opportunity yeah. because uh, the the market isn't going gaga. And when you can get those once heralded prospects, it's almost like he's post hype, even though he has eighty seven major league plate appearances and he's going into his age twenty three season. He had but, a bad year in AAA in twenty sixteen. He did. And, he did. But so but what? Is he done now? It's like. I think we overreact, we being the general baseball community, like too much to that stuff. And it's, you know, I don't think he's now all, invalidates all the prospect hype that he got when he was baseball prospectuses number four guy twice, five and seven on MLB, six and 12. These are the last two years at Baseball America. Now, those are the three that, um, that, that baseball reference lists, but I know he was, uh, he charted very well over at, at Fangraphs too, with Long and Hangin, uh, Kylie and, and, and our, our prospect guy. So I like that too. The Freddie Galvis deal, he can be a solid, whatever NL only guy for you. Galvis can, but Crawford could be a mixed league option. So keep an eye on him. You know, let's wrap up talking about this middle re- middle reliever bonanza. There's a, a new middle reliever signed like every hour on the hour. It seems we're not going to talk about all of them because just a lot of them just don't have fantasy impact at all or, or even the potential to, but I do have five highlighted that, that could, because they could push into the closers role for their team. And let's start with a guy we briefly mentioned earlier, Juan Nicasio going out to Seattle. Now, Edwin Diaz is there. He's locked and loaded. It would take some Edwin Diaz fallback, but I did just want to point out that Nicasio was so good last year against lefties um, after having platoon issues throughout his career, that if the new gains against lefties are legit and Diaz does falter, Nicasio could take that role. What do you think of Nicasio out in Seattle? Yeah, he's he's second in place now, and we saw Diaz was fallible. He had some year. bumps, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But they didn't really I, have anybody to turn to. Yeah, yeah. And so Tony Zick got hurt, and they tried. They, they tried somebody else for a little bit. I had yeah, I had Diaz in labor, so I had I had these other uh, jabronis uh, cycling through my my roster like to Vincent, keep. Pazos. Yeah, Pazos actually got a save, I think, and there was some talk he would get more, but he's a lefty. He's got he doesn't have great command, and so he's behind on. Oh, two. they had Sishek too. Ah, uh-huh. um, they don't have him anymore. No, they don't have him. So it, it's so easily Nicasio as the as the number two guy, and then Zick three. I don't know. I don't know how much to ding Diaz though. Diaz, you know, one thing that Zimmerman found was that players pit, uh, closers lose their job like forty percent of the time, which is nuts. So, so I, I so you know, I, I can't. I, imagine if you were looking at players, position players, and any one of them could lose their job. Like they had a 40% chance of just losing their job. And, and we take guys like Diaz in like the seventh round. I <laughs> still have a hard time, but Zimmerman did find that guys who are projected into like top five, you know, elite strikeout rates lose their job at like 25% rate or something. So significantly okay. different, right? makes them a better choice and that makes it's also something that maybe in fantasy just something you have to swallow hard and do yep get one good closer I, maybe that's what i like to do buy, i like to get one good you don't yeah you don't have to buy the mark melanson's of the world you know and i'm talking about before the injury yeah you don't have to like buy it's very cheap you don't have to buy the boring guys who are the boring guys this year 
Here's the thing. We're going to have to do a full episode on it because there's a lot of uncertainty in bullpens right now that I can't even give you. It's a it's a weird thing. I know Justin's been doing a lot of mocks. He's he's actually in one before we started this right now. It's so difficult. It's very difficult. I've been in mocks and you see the top tier. They go where they're where they're, quote unquote, supposed to. And then it's just this big cluster of guys that are kind of similar. And I just. there's a podcast for it. We can talk and and start getting some of these situations sorted out. But let's move on to uh, Morrow, Brandon Morrow going to Chicago. Not not by by talent. He's not uh, one of the boring middle guys. But my whole write-up for his – for Fangraphs, for his signing for the Cubs was like he was used harder than anybody ever – Especially for a guy with his health track record. I know. That's what scares me about this. And we've Smoltz Smoltz said it on this podcast, and we heard Verlander say it again this year. You got to do like a 1.5x for playoff innings. So that's that's just another. Let's do the math there. That's another like 21 innings of of taxing on uh, Morrow's arm in addition to the 43 that he got. So you're talking about 63 innings, which, you know, normally you'd be like, okay, that's fine. That's easily his highest over the last, uh, since 2013. Yeah. As a reliever. Yeah. And he pitched every world series game, by the way. Yeah. It was nuts. Nuts. But he looks like he's going to have a shot. But when he's, when he's pitching as a reliever, like as a reliever, he's been great. Um, with this fastball slider cutter thing, he's been great. So mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know, you know, if he can, if I get him as my third closer, I'll buy him. But if I have to buy him as my first or second, that innings thing is just, uh, too it's much. Just of an ass. Um, who do you prefer then Carl Edwards jr. Or Pedro Strope as a uh, potential backup? I've been waiting for Strope for so long. And I would say Edwards, Edwards does have the velocity and strikeout rate to, to take his job, that's the one thing that we found in the past is related to closer switching roles is fastball velocity and strikeout rate. However, uh, as much as I think that, I'm not sure that Joe Madden thinks that because he doesn't seem to trust Carl Edwards. Well, and then in the playoffs, he did trust him in spots, and he, I think he mo- kind of over-trusted him. Because yeah. it was situations where you're like, oh, you're going to Edwards again? I just don't know if I like it here because he would – he had just gotten beaten up the night before or something. So I think it's a wide open situation in, in, uh, excuse me, in Chicago right now, um, unless they make another move, but you know, they've got a bunch of guys. I don't think they have a standout. We'll have to see how it goes. If you are doing early drafts, I think Morrow's the guy you, you treat as the closer. And but again, Edwards is overpay. a, Edwards is a, a decently, uh, high ranked, uh, closer speculation guy. Exactly. I completely agree with that. Uh, let's move on to Fernando Rodney because he got signed by Minnesota. And he's it's the year twenty three fifteen. And Fernando, Fernando Rodney, Rodney is, is in the game to get a save for save one thousand <laughs> of the twenty three hundreds. No, yeah, I mean he's he going out to Minnesota, which means he's gonna be the closer. They said, okay, it was confirmed that um, when they did the, the conference call with him, they said that he was he was brought out there and told, yes, you will get a chance to go for the ninth. Because who else would they have right now anyway? Trevor Hildenberger? Period. <laughs> What's that? Who else do they have, period? They have Jose Barrios, Irvin Santana, 
and now Fernando Rodney. I yep. can't even like I have a hard time naming that staff because it's so bad. Sweet, sweet Kyle Gibson. Hey, your boyfriend Ald- Aldoberto Mejia. How dare you forget him? You're yeah. the only reason I know anything about Aldoberto Mejia. We and we've fallen in a lot of out of love with uh with Gibson. Maybe he's you know so done with Kyle Gibson. I eviscerated <laughs> him at the really? baseball even HQ after forum. the newest uh, arm slot change and the four seamers no. and. No, did you see? Did, here's the thing, and this also ha, I, this also has me a little bit concerned about Byron Buxton's little surge. Did you see their second half schedule? Now uh-huh. I know it's more important with with a pitcher, but Kyle Gibson, the, the teams that he faced when he was putting up those big numbers, it was so bad, dude. It was like Detroit 84 times, KC, uh, the White Sox, yeah, Cleveland, sure, but he only lasted four innings against them. Toronto, they were not particularly special, and they even beat him up one of the times. The Padres. Uh, no, I'm I'm suspect on this uh, on this Cal Gibson the 48th resurgence. Believe me, I've been there. I've been beating Jesus. the drums. Phil Hughes is slotted in as their fifth starter. My God! Oh my God! I thought he was a reliever by now. That's so bad. Uh, I don't even have Phil Hughes on roster resource. They have somebody named Aaron Sleggers, which I'm not sure is a real player. That mm-hmm. might, that's Tuffy Ghost Switch's stepbrother. Hey. Uh, Trevor Hildenberger might have won me a title. I uh, just got my trophy for winning my score sheet league that you're in. Congrats. An actual physical trophy. That's awesome. I didn't know yeah. that you got trophies for that. I would have thwarted tried you. Harder? No, no, I, I was, I was going to say that, but I tried really hard not me <laughs> because I had a team that I thought was on a rebuild, and all of a sudden I jump out the first few months, and I'm in first, which was crazy. Uh-huh. And I'm like, well, I got to keep going with this team, and then it just faded, and then you took over. And your your team deserved to win. It was the on-paper favorite at the beginning of the year, and then and then you, you finished the job. So congratulations on that, you <laughs> jerk. But, uh... Uh, but Hildenberger is a good uh, sort of submariner type. I th- those those aren't usually used as closers because they have big platoon splits and don't strike out a ton of guys. So that's why Oday and Nishak have never really been closers, despite great statistics yeah. that they continue to put up. So I, I don't think even you know go- who I put second. It might be it might be Rogers, I guess. I would Duffy. say Hildenberger is second to Rodney or B- Busenitz. Did you Rogers see that? Bus- is a lefty, actually. So what about maybe Tyler Duffy? That's an interesting one. Former starter who, when he went in the bullpen, his stuff looked a little bit better. He got more swing and miss for sure. Um, he's he's a potentially interesting one. I'm and, not investing in this bullpen at all. How nah. about that? How about that? <laughs> yeah, it's a bad bullpen. Like, just, you know, that actually matters. The one thing I, I looked at save chances and what they're correlated to, and they're not actually correlated that well to win percentage. What they are correlated with. Uh, our team's run scored and the strength of the rest of the bullpen. Uh, that makes sense to, to yeah. get them the lead. You have to get the lead and then you have to keep the lead to get the save. So Yeah, I know. I, I just don't touch this bullpen. Like it's, I know some people like to dumpster dive on their bullpens and, and try to spike the, the next big thing. It's not here in Minnesota. You're it's not it. obvious either. There's no like Hector Neris, right? There's exactly. no like. Oh, he throws 97, and he's obviously going to take Rodney's job in May, and and he'll cost you a dollar, and he'll he'll have spring. No, there's none of those guys. Let me ask you this: Is maybe one of their prospects or, that have kind of fallen back a little bit, like a uh, Louis Thorpe, a Felix Gonzalez, or even like a Cole Stewart? 
are one of them maybe a, a you know are they give up on them starting and move them into the bullpen? Is that uh, I mean, a potential? Their starting staff so bad, I don't think they can do it. I That's, think yeah. there's an outside chance if there's anybody, it's uh, JT Chargois. Chargois, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, he's been milling around for them for a while. Um, nice. Trevor May, when when Trevor May comes back, but Trevor May probably won't be back till like the middle of the season. Yeah, those are those are the two interesting names. You know, okay. Chargois. Hey, listen, we spent too much time on this. And, yes, let's move this on. This is absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. Let's talk about their former closer, Brandon Kinsler, who was traded out to Washington. He re-signs with Washington. I included him. I love Sean Doolittle. Uh, so I might, I thought maybe I had to throw some cold water on myself in assuming that he automatically has the job and just at least bring up Kinsler because Kinsler did have some closing success and does give them another option. I still think that if they weren't going to go with Doolittle, then they would sign or trade for somebody else to take over for him, and it wouldn't be Kinsler. But I did want to bring up Brandon Kinsler just uh, just to cover my bases. So what do you think about Kinsler going back out to uh, Washington for a full year? There's a, a, a decent high-variance bullpen for a, a, a killer team to have a bullpen where Doolittle has that injury history, Madsen has that injury history, and Kinsler, when I bolt. dove into his numbers, his sinker lost an inch of drop last year, and his launch angle went up in the second half of the year uh, on the pitch, uh, and his launch angles were nowhere near as good as they were in 2016. So there's a chance for me that something is up with Kinsler. And if you look at the way they they put that contract together, I think that they are a little nervous too. It wasn't two years and $10 million. It was one year and $5 million and a mutual option for a second. Yes. If you can maybe strike out more than five per nine, yeah, a 4.9. <laughs> like I know strikeouts are not the only thing, but you got to get more than 4.9. There's just so much contact. You're just, like you said, the high variance aspect of it when you're allowing that much contact is nerve wracking. I know you were talking about the high variance of the bullpen at large, but Kinsler himself epitomizes that sort of variance. And so I don't really see him getting in the closers role by any stretch. But again, I wanted to bring him up because he is going to be a pretty integral piece to their to their bullpen in Washington. So I think I wouldn't even he, mess with him in NL only. No, no, because you don't even get strikeouts. The NL only one dollar pitcher on this staff that I'm or one dollar reliever I might like on this staff is Coda Glover. Oh yeah, I knew you were going to go there. I also like uh, any Romero. Oh yeah, you could just pick any Romero that you want. Whichever one. Hey. I'm going to go punch myself in the throat. Be right back. <laughs> no, Coda Glover is the spec. If you don't if you don't dig Doolittle, spec on Coda Glover, skip over Madsen. I, I, don't, I don't think it's his job either. All right, the last one is Hector Rondon going to Houston. Again, Ken Giles is established. I, I think he obviously has some leash and the, and the first opportunity, all that sort of stuff. But Ken Giles, as Colette and I know by betting on him 52 years in a row, is far from infallible and seems to always have some stuttering uh, right out of the gate. Uh, it seems to like April seems to be his kind of deal. I remember this used to be an issue with uh, with Verlander. Now as a starter, it's completely different than than a reliever. But I remember he changed his his routine at the beginning of the uh, winter to try to make sure he was ready for the season. Maybe there's something there for Giles. Or maybe it's just the fact that he gives up five runs in one outing, so it makes all of his April ERAs look bad. But Hector Rondon has closed a little bit before. He gives Houston a, a, a nice secondary option there behind Ken Giles. What do you think of Rondon in Houston? You know, I think that uh, uh, he's 
I wonder if there's an injury there because the the Cubs could have kept him, and they didn't really trust him in the in the postseason, and he kind of lost his slider in the second half, and the results went with it, and so I think there's enough question there with Rondon that I'm not sliding him necessarily into second. However, I will say this: I think that this is the kind of bullpen that could see upheaval next year. And I know I don't know exactly where to point. I mean, I think just sort of what you're talking about, the fact that Ken Giles goes up and down. I don't know why, because he has a really good strikeout rate and a, a really good slider and doesn't walk the lineup. But it just seems like every given year, there's like a time where it doesn't work out for him. And if that happens, I don't think Davinsky is a natural guy to slot in there. He has that crazy changeup, but he doesn't really have the same velocity. Musgrove is interesting if he's going to be throwing 95 and 96. We'll see what happens with him. Will Harris is like kind of like cutter cutter slider guy where it's like everything's not that fast, but everything's super bendy. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a Gregerson thing where it's like I don't think he's going to be the closer. I think he'll always have good rates and good things and he'll never be closer. So, uh, you know, then you, you get down the list and you're talking about, you know, Michael Feliz, uh, flamethrower with lots of strikeouts so far hasn't looked good. Um, you know, Francis Martes, who was supposed to be a starter, but if he's going to be in the bullpen, he's probably going to be really good. And if one of those guys is actually in the bullpen and is actually there when something happens to Ken Giles, I don't know. Like I could see them sort of leapfrogging their place in the in the depth chart as it stands. So uh, I don't know. This is a little bit touchy feely for for us. We like to stay close to the numbers, but for me, I'm not 100 percent on Ken Giles, and I'm not even 100 percent on knowing who's number two. Yeah, because you got you got Davinsky, you got Will Harris, you got Rondone, you got Joe Smith, you got Joe Musgrove, who we've talked up. Although I know you like him in that in that mid role of give him 110 innings on multiple yeah. relief outings and he could be uh, a star in that role. Uh, but yeah, that, they've definitely fortified their bullpen. Obviously it was an issue for them last year. It did not hamper them because they won the world series, but it was always the big question mark. Like how are they going to bridge the gap to get to Giles? And then he had his own struggles and it's like, well, okay, well this is, this is going to be treacherous. They're not going to win the world series. And then they ended up winning it in seven games. They know if they have any, if they're going to have any chance to repeat, they're going to have to have a stronger bullpen, and they've taken steps to address that. Although they only have the one lefty right now, Tony Sipp, so I think they need to figure that out. But that's more of a real baseball thing than something that uh, would help in fantasy. Uh, the rest, of, like I said, the rest of the reliever signings, I just don't see them being high impact, like Brian Shaw out in in Colorado. Actually, what I should what I should have brought up was uh, Jake McGee re-signing because I they, I know they've talked to Greg Holland, but that's not locked in yet i think mcgee as a re-signing he could be the guy to get the job i don't don't think they're bringing in brian shaw to close what do you think about that colorado bullpen right now assuming greg holland doesn't sign there Uh, i think greg holland i mean he's got like 60 million bucks on the table from them that's That's what the rumor is oh yeah then he's i mean he has to take that what's he waiting for yeah, <laughs> I'm wait, not wait, giving wait, Greg wait. Holland sixty million bucks. Yeah, no, nobody else is giving you. Well, what are you waiting for, dude? I like Greg Holland, but man, 
Come on, yeah. he faded in the second half. He looked like he's really starting to catch up to him a little bit. He's Maybe look the at second his mechanics too. My God, he he can shake hands with Ian Desmond at first. Who who else plays first? I couldn't think. Oh, Mark Reynolds. Like you can shake hands with him after he throws a pitch. He falls off so much. Yeah. It is absolutely crazy. But uh, I think again. Assuming McGee doesn't or uh, Holland doesn't sign there, McGee would be your go-to. Even though he's a lefty, they have other lefties. A lot of times, that's why the lefty doesn't get it is because they don't have other lefties to go to in the middle innings with matchups. But they've got Mike Dunn, Chris Rusin, and even Zach Roskup that they could look to. So McGee could get the job. And if Holland signs, then it's going to be Holland. So that's that's what the Colorado situation looks like. You know, we got to wrap it up, man. Um, yeah. How are the winter meetings? Um. A little bit more boring than usual, but I still love going because I like love the bar scene. I just love the different kinds of conversations you have because you meet guys, you meet people. They're mostly guys. You meet people from all across, you know, baseball, and they all have different perspectives and different stories. And you know, baseball is really great for story time. Mm-hmm. So you know, just. It's great conversations, and people are like, "Why did you, you know, you know?" Cameron at some point was like, "Why were you, you know, there till three in the morning?" And I guess I I got lost uh, on the way back and was walking around our villas and couldn't find my villa, and it was kind of a funny moment. But I was like, uh, "Because we had dinner at Shula's at midnight, and Josh Kuznick, an agent, uh, ate the forty-eight ounce steak." you know, and, uh, you know, I was I was sitting next to Adam Gutridge, who does NAFI Analytics. And so I'm bugging him about MLEs and how the game has changed and this and that. And uh, we had insane. an agent we had an agent that works with uh, with um, only Dominican players there at the table. So he was telling us stories. And then we had somebody who works in playing cards and she was telling us, I didn't even know this the players negotiate their own number for every, uh, for the license for every playing card. Really? Yeah. I thought that you got the, you got the MLB players association to, you got, you basically got all of them at once, but apparently, and do you remember there was once a San Francisco giants left fielder card? Well, yeah, I, I do know that, that, uh, bonds is broken off, uh, from from all the player association stuff. That's why he's not in MLB The Show either because they're not going to oh. pay the exorbitant money that he wants. The funny thing that you're talking about here, so the MLB The Show, they have a, a, a deal with Tops when they when they release there vintage cards. They're always Tops. Apparently there's an issue this year with Madison Bumgarner. There and you go. There's something going on with his tops, so they don't have any of his vintage cards. Last year they came out with a cool postseason Bumgarner, which was like this super elite card that you, that you could use on your team. Well, they don't yeah. have that this year cuz he's got some, some negotiating sort of quarrel n- negotiation yeah. negotiations with tops. So he's not in there. So that's I I thought it was a players association thing. Once you're in the players association as an active player, they have your rights and then once you're retired, they have to get them a different way. So I I'm fascinated by that world. I really don't know anything about it and I would like to know more because um especially with the MLB the show stuff, you never know which old school players they might get because you don't know whose rights they have and how much those rights are costing. Yeah. So, you know, uh, there's a reason to, to hang out late into the night. Uh, and it even, it's not even for me, I wasn't, I'm not chasing rumors. I don't particularly find that so much fun. Even when I get to go upstairs and talk to the, the team suites, talking to the team suites, 
up there, you know, most of the time they're just being evasive. Even when I got my one-on-one with Bobby Evans and got to ask him questions like, what about AT&T Park? What about California taxes? He's still kind of giving me shove-off questions and not really, you know, he didn't really, you know, get into the meat of it. Some of it was illuminating, but some of it was kind of uh, just the kind of same kind of stuff when you're like, well, it says here, you know, we heard that you're looking for a right-handed outfielder. And then Forrest is like, well, you know, we have a plenty of good right-handed outfielders on our team, but if the opportunity is there for us to improve the team, we're going to talk to anybody. And you're like, ah, nah, you're nah, falling nah, asleep nah. on that. You're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> One thing uh, I would say is that we were in Giants, the Giants suite, basically right after Stanton's trade was announced. Ah. And uh, there was a decent amount of fear and loathing. I can so, imagine. Uh, I would say that I think, I think they're not going to spend... I, I think they they right now have about 10 to $12 million without going over the cap, the, the luxury tax. And I don't think they want to go over the luxury tax. I think they probably got some sort of approval to go over the luxury tax if they got Otani and or Stanton. And they didn't get those guys. So I think it's more, you know, Sabian even said something like, if you asked anybody in the luxury tax, if they want to get out, they want to get out. So uh, I think he, they're going to try and get out. And I don't know that that necessarily means selling pieces that aren't nailed down i mean like selling cueto they've already put panic and crawford on the on the board but i don't think anybody really came uh forward to to claim to to really go after those guys yeah i don't think that they want to trade belt because they still want to have power i don't think they want to trade future hall of famers madison bumgarner and and buster posey Mm -hmm. so uh you know i think that what ends up happening is they buy they put an offer on the table and they say we've got a three we got a three and 30, right? We got a three thirty deal out there, three years and $30 million. And whoever uh, wants it can take it. If it's Jay Bruce or whoever, you know, and then if that doesn't work out, we're going to buy John Jay to play center field for us for a year with Steven Duggar. And we're going to platoon spawn and Williamson and Parker out in left field. And we're going to tell everybody, we're going to tell our fans it's about getting healthy this year. We're going to have a healthy year of Bumgarner. Dude. We're going to have a healthy year of Cueto. And that's why we're going to be good. This is a lot different than the story you told for the Giants the last time we talked. I know. Can you believe it? I'm just Well, saying. I had to admit even back then that it was, you know, it was exciting, but it was pie in the sky. And I think they were, they, they felt like they were led astray. So if, if I led you astray, then the Giants felt led astray as well, because Sabian literally said to me that they realized that they were a fallback option while, you know, during the talks and that the or afterwards and that the agent had not made it seem that way on the way in. So they were they were a little bit misled. They they thought they had a legitimate chance of changing his mind. And then Stanton went up on the podium and said, you know, the Giants and Cardinals were never on my list. That's why you can't get too caught in on some of the the rumors right yeah. we, we we hear about it in um in in july with the with the uh trade rumors then and we hear about it again in the in the winter there's like a a, a rumor for just about anybody and while they are legit in that yes player x was discussed the not severity but like the seriousness which with which that player may have been discussed is generally overstated by a lot and yeah, and if you went and sold Stanton because you thought he was going to go to AT&T Park and lose all those homers. You're a dummy. You wish you had him back right now, probably. Yes. 
You shouldn't have done that. All right, let's go ahead and uh, finish it there. You know, good talk, and uh, we'll be back next week talking more. Hopefully, big signings. Hopefully, we get one, at least one for Christmas. Let's get one of the big boys off the board that we can talk about. But either way, if not, we'll come on and we'll talk about 52 reliever signings. Thanks, you know, to Justin Mason, for producing. What's that? Yeah, I'm writing up all these like former speculation and another reliever sign and all this crap. And here it is, Friday afternoon, and I'd like to go to lunch and. Three big you guys. Know something's gonna happen. Signed. Exactly. Oh, exactly, dude. You can. In fact, if you want something to happen, leave your place. That's the only <laughs> way to really generate something to happen. Go run some errands or or, or, or do something like that. That will get you going. Uh, as far as the market goes, that seems to be the way it always works. So uh, let's get out of here. Go eat some lunch, and hopefully JD Martinez signs when we come back. Uh, I'll talk <laughs> to you next week. You know. Uh, and thanks for listening.